Welcome to From Heartache to Healing and Hope with your host, Bernadette Winters-Bell, LMSW. This podcast explores the many layers of life through the lens of loss and grief, often with special guests who share their perspectives on this universal yet unique process. These explorations can offer you, the listener, avenues to encourage you to have these conversations with yourself, your family, your community, your world. Hello, Bernadette Wintersbell here, your host of the podcast From Heartache to Healing and Hope. And in this storm, we're still paddling away. Same storm, different boats. Yes, I have somebody interesting now from Toronto, Canada, Georgina Cannon. She has had so many different interesting parts of what she's done in her professional life. She's been in high corporate world. She's done work with Shirley MacLaine. She's written books. She has clients. She's taught at universities. She is most interesting. Join us with Bernadette Winters Bell from Heartache to Healing and Hope. This series, same storm, different boats. See you soon. Hello, I'm Bernadette Winters Bell, your host of the podcast from Heartache to Healing and Hope. And in this series, same storm, different boats, I have a special guest for you, Georgina Cannon. Welcome, Georgina. Thank you. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So since between the two of us, you know yourself the best, would you be so <laughs> kind as to introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist, a coach, a counselor, couples counselor. I facilitate past life regression sessions and I teach it. And I facilitate Life Between Lives sessions, and I teach it. I'm also an instructor at the University of Toronto, and I teach hypnosis and spiritual hypnosis to social workers, nurses, doctors, whoever wants to attend. And currently, we have a class. It's all on Zoom right now, of course. Right. Currently, we have a class of 30 of all professions, all ages. Wonderful. So I've been doing this for 22 years. What brought you to be doing this? That's so interesting. Well, before that, I was in the corporate world in uh, marketing and advertising and ran a, a fairly large company. And before that, I was a journalist, uh, both in England and here. And one day I got really tired of being in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. I got tired of being diminished as a female and I got, just got tired of running. It, it was seductive because the pay was excellent and people applauding you all the time was really seductive. But one day I just couldn't look myself in the mirror anymore and I, and I just got out of it and decided to look for something that was good for the soul where I could help people rather than corporations. So I studied gestalt therapy, psychodrama therapy, um, timeline therapy, um, color therapy, Reiki, I'm a Reiki master, I did a lot of different things and I happened upon hypnosis. Mm. It was an aha because that is the thing that really makes a change because it goes into the subconscious mind where all of our patterns, as you know, and habits are. So that made the difference. And from that moment on, I signed on and I 
few months later, I opened the clinic and school, which grew to be Canada's largest at that time. And I had to sell it, uh, I think, six years ago, seven, seven years ago now, for uh, ill health. But up until then, it, it was thriving and we were doing good work. I did grand rounds in hospitals and wow. it was it was extraordinary. The, the shift, I mean, as you know, you, you don't make as much money as you do in corporate. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but the but the heart yes. is f phenomenal. I mean, you're bringing light into the world and yeah. And it's humbling and it's worthwhile. It's extraordinary work. Absolutely. So you're in Toronto, Canada, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, so what I've been sharing with people is that I learned, at least here in the States, that after World War One, people would ask one another, how was your war? Because of course there wasn't social media or methods of communication like we have now. So I ask you, Georgina, how has your pandemic been? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, tomorrow I get my first injection, ah. but um, it's been a year in. I, I'm an introvert anyway. You know, people are surprised at that, but it's true. Uh, I'm an introvert anyway, so it doesn't worry me. I, I've just finished another book, mm. which is with my agent right now. And um, so I'm always busy. I see clients uh, two times a week on Zoom and I teach most weekends. So, it, you know, it's okay for me. It's okay, okay for you, right. I miss hugs, I miss uh, hugs. I miss the hugs and I miss the coffee and the walks with friends and stuff like that. But by and large, it's not been so difficult as it is for mothers, for instance, with young children who have to have them at home while they're working and- Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, has the pandemic been worse in your country than other places around the world as far as you know i don't think so i i i i think we've been a little slow on the uh delivery of the of the injections but i don't think it's any worse it's certainly not israel seems to be having all over the place say so they you know vaccinated everybody but i don't know uh, what else is going on I, uh well no we're fine we're, we're not fine we still have people getting ill, but it's better. And we don't have as many mas anti-maskers as I think you do. We don't have as many people, mind you, we don't have the population that you do, but we don't have as many people denying the fact. We do have the odd idiot, of course, going into stores and, and creating havoc, but it's not common. When the pandemic happened, how was it presented to Canadians as a whole by, say, your prime minister? This is something we should all do together. Yes, yes, yes. It was admitted. It was admitted that this is going to. Uh, it might be a few months. <laughs> it might be a few months, but you know we have to take care and we have to start wearing masks. And and with, uh, the more information we got from the scientists, of course, they were learning on the job too. I mean, we can't forget that. Right. Everybody's learning on the job with this. So, uh, and the messaging kept changing and, and people would get irritated, but you know, you remind them that they don't know either. So because- exactly. It's, mm. you know, it's like parenting. Um, you can read a book or two or 12, yeah. but you're learning on the job. And as soon as you learn it, then things change. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Similar to that. That's yeah, right. yeah, 
Exactly. So it's not that you didn't learn this lesson well. It's that, okay, it's over now and we're on to this one. And yes, right. Yeah. Wonderful. So the teaching that you're doing continues and uh, working with clients. So it sounds like you had time to be writing uh, another book. Yes. It's called Victim to Victory. And I've interviewed people from around the world of all different walks of life um, who were born into disadvantaged circumstances. So either they were refugees or they're born into addicted families or brutal or um, hunger. Mm. Or, and at some point in their early life, they decided I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna do something about this. Mm. And so I interviewed them and I've got somebody from Israel, Australia, India, few from the States, few from Canada, and um, extraordinary stories, Ex exciting, inspiring, funny. I've got a well-known actor, well-known composer who writes for people like Taylor Swift, mm. a ballet dancer, <clears throat> excuse me, a ballet dancer, a financial planner, a Paralympian who has trained with the power of his mind um, to start walking again. Wow. And he was a, a paraplegic in, in a wheelchair when he was uh, 17. He had an accident while he was working on the job. And um, he is a public speaker now and he tours the world giving public speaking and at the end of it, he gets out of his wheelchair and walks across the stage. Wow. And people are crying by that of time. Course. There's a drop the mic moment for sure. Yeah. So was it um, difficult to identify people to be interviewed for the book? Well, I put the word out. You know, as an ex-journalist, you sort of know how to get to the people. Right. You know, you put the word out and you ask everybody you know, do you know anybody who? Um, also got a Microsoft guy from Israel um, who has an entirely different story, uh, but a good one. And um, it, you just get links. People know someone who knows someone. Um, I interviewed quite a few people and I didn't accept them for the book because the issues were about their own making. Mm -hmm. So um, one person, for instance, was somebody who came to Canada and had a hard time adjusting as uh, an immigrant. Well, that's not an unusual story, right? What, what you know, and you, you have it. Which yeah. would be so enlightening and interesting uh, to your readers. That's right. And what's going to be the turnaround? What was the trigger for you? What was the turnaround for you? And for many of them, I have a medical doctor, many of them, they just woke up one morning and said, I can't do this anymore. This is, you know, and um, not only did they, I asked them about their turnaround, one or two or three turnarounds, but also their earth angels who came along at the right time and gave them a hand up. And were they willing to share that? Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't do anything by ourselves. Well. Nothing we are able to see our turnarounds, experience them. Yes. When we're able to say, yes, thank you for that hand. Yes. I don't want to have to take it perhaps, and I should be able to do this by myself, but thank you nevertheless, and then move there. And that's, that's 
me has always seemed like the moments of growth. Yes. That it takes more strength to ask for help or accept help than it does okay. to be, I can do this by myself. That's right. That's hey, right. Hey, hey. Yeah. And interestingly, each and every one of these is giving back in some way to community. Isn't that lovely that when oh, they go through something right. like that, right, yeah. that they can, yeah, that they want to do something like that to give. That's back. right. That's right. I was just saying recently that, um, you know, the uh, pandemic of 1918, 19, uh, well, one, two, you know, things we've all been uh, through in different ways in different communities. We know the facts of this. Um, I saw a, a local play about two years ago um, about a, was he considered a soldier, um, who went in World War I from Canada over to England and what his experience was like. It was so fascinating. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the few times I heard a story of the person because it was factual. Right. So mostly we get the facts of what happened during the war, you know, historical things. But the story of the people, it seems to have gotten lost. So that's what I'm so excited about to be doing here. You know, first of all, to be talking to people, seeing how they're doing, how they're, some come from to a place of hopelessness and then to a place of hope. But documenting their stories so that it's there for others. Yes, whether it's this generation or others to know that, yes, you can get through it. Because like you were mentioning, when people feel alone, like if you're in a community and you don't think mm -hmm. anyone's there to help you, you know, that's one of the hardest feelings I think that there is to feel that isolation, which is what people have been going through too. It, it, it is. And that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book. Um, and at the end of each chapter, there are worksheets and the two, there are two for each chapter. And the first one is, uh, with every chapter and basically it says how did this story inspire you or trigger something that you might want to change and then the following uh, worksheet is the sheet that has something that applies to the story specifically um, whether it be uh, just a, a six month plan uh, what's next but if you get it out of your head and you start focusing and write it down I believe it comes alive well, it certainly does. I say to people, hmm. um, because my work is had been up till now, life loss and grief, uh, right. which is just about everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, indeed. Really, right? Um, indeed, yeah. That if your story or your anxiety or angst is going around here and maybe inside of here, you've only got one contributor to the story <laughs> and that's you. So when it comes up and out, that's what my mentor always used to say, Kathy Fanslow, up and out, we make fun of her. Rosemary and I used to make fun of her with that, but she was right. <laughs> that when it, when it gets energy outside of you, whether it's speaking it or writing it or composing music or whatever you might do to it, right. now you have the opportunity for it to see light and to perhaps see another perspective that someone else can help you with. Absolutely. Because once it only sits in here. It goes round and round and round, doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't. No, no, no place good, right? No, it just goes round and round and it becomes an echo. And it, it becomes the part of you that you go into uh, 
um, when you're feeling sad or sorry or all of that. Right. So instead of getting a perspective, uh, like into the third person almost, that's when I get my clients to work on archetypes. I say, what part of you? What part of you can solve this? What part of you do you think? Where's the warrior if it's a guy? Where's the warrior in you? Right, right. right? Well, Are you asking them to identify where it is in their body? Or that too, we- that too. Because we work with that in the body, as you know. Right. It's, it's all in the body. Um, and we change perception. What color is it? What size is it? What texture is it? All of that NLP stuff. And you change it. And you... You know, I've done a lot of work with uh, kids when I was uh, working uh, with hospices yeah. for a long time. And one of the things I created for one of the camps was a fish out of water is what I called them. And we had great big pieces of paper we put in each group. And um, the kids drew all sorts of, um, I had someone paint a landscape on each one with water and trees mm-hmm. and sky. And then they all picked little animals that they liked. Um, and I told them to put it where it didn't belong. You know, the fish was in the tree, and like, <laughs> water and all that kind of stuff. And then it became, okay, what would happen? What would the fish feel like in a tree? And so they would describe their animal there, which of course was describing their feelings. It gave voice to that. Sure. And what color is the animal? And- So clever, that's so clever. What colors does he change to? So then we had the animals like on a popsicle stick and we had them on two different colors. So mad or sad or something like that. And what color was that for you? Right, right. Learn that not everyone sees mad as black or red. Right. Or happy as yellow, you right, know. Right. But it gave them. Re- so then we left everything up, and they came back the next day, and I say, "Okay, now go back and get your animal. And where would you want him to be?" And it was so interesting when they would just—they wouldn't automatically put the fish in the water or the cow in the pasture. So just like, no, it's like, huh? I got choices now. All right. Well, if you don't put them in the water, because that's the obvious choice. Where else could he live? Can I make a pond? Sure, you can make a pond, sure. So they wanted mostly, some of them just wanted to put it where it belonged. With yeah, mind. they wanted choice. Yes, they loved the choice. And then they wanted to create something custom, like for to, to provide protection for themselves, of course. Yes, yes. Right. And so um, I've used that a little bit with adults, but you know, they don't go so easily to crayons and fish out of water. No, but the concept, they, they could certainly, I, I think I'm going to borrow this, the concept. Silly girl, it's all yours. Yes. And the, the concept is really good. So right. if you were a fish and we talk about you don't know you're in the fishbowl until you're taken out of it, let's, right. let's take you out of the fishbowl and put you in a tree. What would you see in a tree? And you might get answers such as, "Will I get a broader perspective? I'm higher up. I, mean, I think it's, but I'm going to use it. Thank you, Bernadette. Absolutely. And then they, I had one kid taking the fish and it was diving into the water so it could be in the water or out of the water. Mm-hmm. Right. You can go a lot of different ways with it. Right? Yeah. No, I yeah. think it's great. I'm not going to use that. It's, it's okay. a fish out of water. What was funny was as I was creating it, and I had somebody paint the murals and everything. And the first person put the fish in the tree, the first child. And I went, oh yeah, like a fish out of water. I didn't make it with that in mind as the title, but of course right, that's, right, that's exactly right, what it is. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so with adults, which are, to my mind, 
more tricky to work with. Um, that as every everyone's going through the pandemic in their own way, some people are enjoying um, having that real good private time um, and just be on Zoom or uh, being professional when you when you want to be. When, uh, and other people are struggling so mightily. Yeah, so they are. It's and we're been talking a lot about um, pandemic fatigue that people are hitting a wall of I'm done. Yeah. And not that they haven't tried or all yeah. of that, but after a year and like I've gotten both shots last week, I got the, the second uh, COVID shot. And so that you can see people who are fully vaccinated now privately uh, without a mask. But if everyone doesn't get vaccinated, where are we? Right, right. Right. But people are getting uh, slightly touchy. I think they're getting slightly irritable, mm -hmm. slightly mm -hmm. shorter-tempered, yes. um, because we're we're living in such uncertain times. If we knew exactly what was going to happen, um, we'd feel more comfortable. Um, which is why, in wartime, it's not the same as a war. In wartime, you sort of know that you're at war and what's happening. I mean, having grown up in England and, you know, we, we know what it's like. But having, being in a time where we don't know tomorrow what's going to happen. You hear 300 more deaths or 200 more deaths or this, this um, vaccine is working. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We don't know. Right. It's the uncertainty, I think, describing people. I agree, but I would have thought that it would have been like that during the war, not knowing how long it would go on for or anything like that. Well, because you, and also remember when there's a major war, we don't have the inundation of news all the time. Mm. The last major war for the States, I think, was the Vietnam War, if I'm right. not correct. And we didn't have that. We didn't have the daily, you might have had the news bulletin on the radio or, or well, you didn't during World War II. You did during Vietnam. It was the first one that people came into their living room. The war came into their living room. Right. The phrase. Right? But it, you, did we have CNN at that time? It kept repeating the story. No. See, and that's a part of it. Yes. The drumming in of the trauma or the, or the uncertainty. That's part of it. And you open up your computer and up there's Facebook with all these comments and things. And that's absolutely. I mean, that's what it is, I think. I really do. Well, I've, I have advised or encouraged uh, many clients to mm -hmm. like, yeah, cool. news for a while. I said, you know, I personally haven't watched news in, I don't know, well, actually since 9-11, I do know when it started. Um, and I don't feel like I'm going to miss anything because someone is always willing to say, have you heard? Have you seen? <laughs> so I'm always updated, you know? <laughs> so. But being inundated with the information is um, a danger. And then I think it's important that we learn to manage yes. the media that we have and yes. the news that we have. We don't yes. need to hear it 24 seven. No, we don't. And, and I, I do get people to turn off their TV before going to bed, way before going to bed. Yes. And um, be careful who you listen to and what you listen to. Um, I equate it to like another type of virus. 
excellent, excellent, because it so is, it's invasive. That's right. It's, and you, you may not feel like you have control over it. Of course, the newest research shows how often we reach for our phones. And part of the reason we do is because we're afraid we're going to miss something. That's so right. We reach for it so often. It's like, what did I miss? Yes, right. <laughs> what could I possibly miss? That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I don't get um, good cell service at my home, which I consider such a blessing. <laughs> because somebody Where are you, Bernadette? Uh, upstate New York near Cooperstown. Oh, okay. okay. And, you know, people will say, well, how do you do that? I said, it's simple. I come home and turn the phone off because I'm not going to get anything on it anyway. And I'll get it the next morning. Nothing tragic has happened that somebody hasn't informed me of. I've been perfectly fine. Not, um, <sighs> it hasn't been traumatic for me. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, it makes sense. Yes. It it makes a lot of sense we have to we have to manage yes our environment mm -hmm. we have to manage not only how we are but who we are are we someone that is addicted to something uh, like news or right. tv i mean i am one of those people that are addicted to the voice and jeopardy and things like that on tv Jeopardy, that's terrific, you know? I'm, st I'm still grieving the death of Alex, seriously. But no, I, yeah. but yeah. I can be addicted to Jeopardy, admit it out loud and be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm addicted to Jeopardy and I find out every night how much I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I think the part that amuses me the most is when I guess and I'm right. Ooh, right. I have no idea where my brain I pulled that out of, but I'm just so proud of myself. That's right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How come you didn't know that? I knew that. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Sometimes I it, it's a little scary to think what's in there <laughs> that I'm pulling out. Oh gracious. Well, so you were talking before about the book. Um, when will it be published, do you think? Well, it's with my agent right now, and she's in the process of selling it to a publisher. So I, I have no, no idea. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to hear from her within weeks that Wonderful. it's been sold to a publisher. Cool. Yes. So, and she, she's excited by it. She, she represented me in my other two books. So she's Wonderful. really excited about it. So that's, that's good. good. So tell me, what gives you hope for the future? What do I hope for the future? No, what gives you hope? Oh, what gives me hope? Uh, um, resilience, people's resilience, uh, humanity's resilience at all levels, um, from the most unexpected places. Um, people find solutions. Uh, people um, move with change. They, they have a sense not all people, of course, there will always be people, but generally speaking, everybody wants to live a good life and be happy and be loved. Some people will do whatever it takes to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Some people will be a victim of whatever happens. <laughs> they allow it to happen. They allow it to happen to them, or they are so addicted to drama that they make it happen. Yes. But by and large, what gives me hope for the future is the resilience of humanity, whether it be the refugees mm -hmm. walking for months on end, walking to a good life, or whether it be a, a woman planning to leave an abusive 
and planning, planning, not just doing it, leaving an abusive household with her children and animals. That's what, that's what inspires me. I love it. I love it. Now, I know my uh, audience are going to want to know how to be in touch with you. So could you give us what? My audience would love to be in touch and oh, or like, do you have a website I can? Oh, yes. GeorginaCannon.com. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's very simple. GeorginaCannon.com. And we have the books on there and the MP3s on there. And Super. you can ask any question and we get back to you within 24 hours. Beautiful. Good. Then we'll make sure that that uh, information is put out when we launch this. So yeah. everyone can do it. I want to thank you so much for being such an interesting guest. I don't, I've spoken to people in London, England, in Chicago, in many parts of the world, but you're my first Canadian. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I love your laugh. It's just great. <laughs> well, people do know what I'm in the house. <laughs> That's a good thing. It is a good thing, mostly. Well, this is Bernadette Winters Bell from the podcast, From Heartache to Healing and Hope. With this series, Same Storm, Different Boats, saying thank you, Georgina Cannon, for being such a wonderful guest. And I welcome everyone to come to see us here at the website very soon. Thank you. Absolutely.